Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I am your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we're focusing on another classic. We are continuing our series on film noir with a look at 1950s In a Lonely Place, starring Humphrey Bogart. As always, our classic film expert, Rance Collins, is back to talk us through the film's history and legacy. Don't go anywhere. Hey, before we get into the movie, I highly recommend that you check out the Art House Garage shop. I've mentioned before that we have t-shirt designs like Movies Are For Everyone and Watch old movies. Well, we've got a brand new design that I really love. It says, Cinema is Spiritual, and it looks amazing. I've talked on the show before about the connection between art and spirituality, and that's something I love discussing and exploring. And cinema is, of course, my favorite art form. You can get that design on a shirt, a hoodie, a journal, a sticker, a coffee mug, just about anything. Check out the shop now, arthousegarage.com shop, or find a link in the show notes. Let's talk film noir. This is the third episode in our film noir series. First, we looked at The Third Man back in episode 77. Then we did Nightmare Alley in episode 79. And today, we continue with In a Lonely Place. In a Lonely Place came out in 1950 and stars Humphrey Bogart as Dixon Steele, a washed-up Hollywood screenwriter who gets tied up in a murder investigation, alongside his beautiful neighbor, Laurel, played by Gloria Graham. Laurel is an actor and takes a liking to Dixon before having some serious doubts about his character as things progress. I really fell in love with this surprisingly dark film, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you do. If you'd like to watch it, the film is available to stream on Amazon Prime, and you can go ahead and listen to the first portion of our conversation. We provide some context about the film that might be helpful to know before you watch. And then we'll give our spoiler warning so you can pause and go watch it. And then we dig into the film in the second half of the episode. I am joined once again by Rance Collins, who lives and breathes classic Hollywood. And he also co-hosts his own podcast, The Envelope Please, which is all about Oscars history. Link to that show is in the show notes of this episode. And without further ado, let's get into our discussion of 1950s In a Lonely Place. Did you see Mr. Steele last night? Yes, as I came home, I saw him going to his apartment with a girl. That girl was murdered between 1 and 2 o'clock this morning. Welcome back once again, Rance Collins. How's it going? It's good. I'm excited to unpack another one of our noirs. Yes, absolutely. And this one, I don't know, based on, I, I knew very little about it. And I knew we needed to include something from with Humphrey Bogart in it for the series. 
and uh it was <laughs> it was dark i gotta be honest i actually finished it very recently like like within the last hour <laughs> it made me sad <laughs> it's a sad movie uh but yeah it was very very good and uh yeah i'm excited to get into it but yeah it was it was it was darker than i expected i think i keep saying that something about you know this movie was made a really long time ago you you don't expect sometimes it to have quite the edge that it does uh right. even though i keep learning the same lesson over and over but i still keep getting surprised <laughs> i feel like nightmare alley was so dark and now this and anyway <laughs> Yes. I keep recommending these movies to you. Like in the in the other series, I was like, "Let's watch Lever to Heaven." That'll be <laughs> yeah, God. That one was <laughs> nice. <heavy> too. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, uh, you know, I I feel like you know Bogart uh, Humphrey Bogart is probably the seminal figure of film noir, mm-hmm. and I I knew most people would say, "Oh, Maltese Falcon" or "Big Sleep." Um, but I thought we should we should do something a little bit more off the beaten path so people could discover something cool. Yeah, and I'm glad we did because again, like I the, the the reason this sticks in my mind is I've seen the Criterion cover a handful of times with him sitting on the bed, kind of looking sad, and with this title in lonely place. Well, that sounds really interesting. I wonder what that's about. So now now I've seen it. I'm just really glad that I have. Uh, but yeah, so what we've done, kind of done with this series is. Before we get into the plot, in case someone has not seen it and wants to watch it, we'll start out with just context, talk about actors, filmmakers, um, a, a little bit about what it's about. And then if you want to pause and go watch the movie, which is streaming on Amazon Prime and a few other places, then you can come back and, and hear our kind of breakdown of it and have a whole film viewing experience with it. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about, uh, I guess, maybe Humphrey Bogart is a good place to start uh, as, as yeah, like you said, a seminal figure in the film noir movement. So mm-hmm. this is not his first film, uh, but he, it would, <laughs> would you say this is early or late or kind of middle of his career? Uh, this is mid late. Uh, you know, mid-late. he died in 1957, I believe. Okay. Oh, this and, is 1950. So yeah. Yeah. And so this is only seven years before his death. I'd say, you know, peak Humphrey Bogart is uh, mid to late, uh, early to mid 40s, that Casablanca hmm. through the Bacall uh, movies of the mid to late 40s. Um, but uh, he had been bouncing around for a long time at this point. He had uh, been in Hollywood after doing Broadway and Hollywood really couldn't figure out what to do with him. He went back. Hmm. Uh, to the stage, and he had a breakout role in a movie called The Petrified Forest Movie. I meant to say play that mm. was made into a movie called The Petrified okay. Forest, where he played this kind of rough um, criminal uh, who is technically the second lead of the film, but he kind of steals uh, the show. And it was that movie that, you know, led to this contract at Warner Brothers. Um, and then he, he, again, they didn't really know what to do with him in the late 30s he uh, he's in a bunch of really random films uh there's a really great betty davis movie called dark victory where for some reason he's in the film playing an irish horse trainer um (laughs) you know which is a smaller role in the movie so you know he doesn't really make too much of an impact but it's kind of very obvious based on that part that warner Brothers still isn't sure like he's not a traditional leading man yeah. what do we do with mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. and then uh starting in the around that same time 39 uh 1939 he makes uh 
movies like uh, The Roaring Twenties and um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a title of a movie um, that's right on the tip of my tongue and it's going to come out Let's in see. just a second. Round 39, Dark Victory, Roaring Twenties, Return of uh, Dr. X. No, no. They, they Drive by Night. They Drive by Night. There we go. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> Maltese then, Falcon comes in 41. 41 as well. High yeah. Sierra. Uh, and then Casablanca, and that's really where we get the Bogart that we all know and love. But throughout the 40s, he had played uh, a hard-edged but rootable leading man, you know? Mm. He had been, uh, he was the sympathetic lead in these films. And um, he, after his contract ended at Warner Brothers, went on on his own, made his own production company, which had produced one other movie before this. This is the second film at that production company in a lonely place. Um, and he loved the novel that this is based on so much that he wanted it made into a film. And uh, he wanted to play this much less sympathetic, yeah. much more complicated uh, character. So this is right at the beginning of his freelance period after his very historic run at Warner Brothers as one of their as one of their top leading uh, uh, men. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And so he's magnetic as always. Like even at the beginning of the story, it kind of opens with him driving around at night, and um, you see his kind of violent tendencies right at the beginning, not knowing yet how how much of a part of the story that's going to be. Um, but yeah, it is. It's amazing. I mean, anytime. I, he pops up on the screen. It's just like, he's so magnetic and so likable. And so it is, it's conflicting feeling, watching him play this character who is he good? Is he bad? It really plays with that. And you don't really know um, what's going on, like his motivations. And there's a lot of questions uh, left hanging till kind of the very end. So yes, uh, a very interesting role from him. And, and one that I really liked, you know, who I loved in this film is Gloria Graham, who, I, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. I was about to look and see, but you have. she was incredible. Uh, uh, you definitely have seen her in something else because I know you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> oh, um, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah I didn't she, realize. And she plays Violet in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the the girl okay. um, that they have the, the great line, uh, I just wear this when I don't care how I look, and then yeah. the car. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and she also is in Oklahoma, um, okay. where she plays uh, Ado Annie. Um, and uh, she made quite a few movies uh, in the late 40s and 50s, including a few film noirs. Also, um, a movie for which she won an Oscar for supporting actress called The Bad and the Beautiful, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is a, a really dark, another dark Hollywood story. She plays a... Uh, a producer's wife in the film or a writer's wife, a writer or a producer's wife. One of the two. One of those. Um, and then uh, there's also a movie from that same year. I think it's 52 called the big heat mm-hmm. um, where she plays a woman who this is a tremendous spoiler. So if people don't want to hear this <laughs> fast forward, okay. she gets a she gets disfigured because a mm-hmm. like she's a mole a gangster's mole and she gets uh. disfigured when the guy throws a pot of scalding hot coffee on her face 
Wow. Yeah, another really dark moment yeah, in film. Um, but she uh, she became kind of uh, known uh, for these film noirs, but her personal life is perhaps 20 times more fascinating than anything she ever mm. did on screen, as great as she is in this movie. She was married to Nicholas Ray at the time. They were filming. Okay. Nicholas Ray directed the film. And... Um, that marriage was already in trouble and they stopped living together during the course of this film. And then they would get back together and break up again. And then later on, she would marry his son. Wow. Who she was caught <laughs> in bed with while she was married to Nicholas Ray and the son was a teenager. Wow. What, what a scandal. My goodness. Yeah. Then she was married to the son for like 10 years and they had two kids. So I think two kids don't quote me on that. (laughs) So they had kids though. And um, anyway, so she, and she also got a lot of early forms of plastic surgery throughout her life because she was so insecure about her lip, her looks, Mm. she would put uh, tissue underneath Mm. her, underneath her top lip filler kind of thing. Yeah. To kind of make her lips puffier. So, um, you might notice some puffiness in some of the movies that you <laughs> watch with her. And um, she repeatedly had surgeries to fix what she thought was wrong there. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, she would later go on to have some other relationships, but she died of cancer in, I believe, about 1980. I was looking at um, uh, 1981. Yeah. 1981. And um, a few years ago, there was a movie made um about her that got a lot of um that got a lot of uh, awards attention although it fell short of getting a best actress nomination for Annette Benning called oh. Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool and okay. that is I didn't know what that a was movie about, about oh. yeah that's a movie about uh Gloria Graham's later years with Annette Benning playing the part so How interesting wow well yeah I, I knew very little about her um I, it's interesting like i always think about uh humphrey bogart obviously what a storied face and all that but his voice is so great i feel like her voice was also incredible just listening to this movie mm-hmm. back and forth I'm like god these are such great voices uh that's very interesting well and knowing all about, those go ahead, go ahead. layers i mean like let me just add a couple layers to yeah, this yeah. too you know that was Obviously, very sordid past for Gloria Graham mm-hmm. and sordid future because we're like right in the middle of all that happening yeah. when she films this. But um, uh, in addition to that, you know, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Lauren Bacall was obviously his last wife, his longest marriage, mm-hmm. I believe like 44 or so to um, 44, 45, somewhere in there, um, to his death in 57. Um they had two children, um, all reports, very happy marriage. But there was a film essay that I saw was written by the silent actress Louise Brooks about this movie. Um, she knew Humphrey Bogart, and she said that this film was closest to his personality and that he was known to occasionally have these violent outbursts. Now, he was right before he was married to Laura Bacall, he was married to another actress who wasn't a big name but they were married for quite a while and they were known for having like drunken brawls 
and wow. his, that wife was known for being an alcoholic who caused lots of problems. Um, I think her name is Mayo Method or something like that. Hmm. Um, wow, I'm, that's, I'm yeah. recalling right. from memories, so some of these uh, names may be incorrect, but. That's fascinating yeah. to hear that this is somewhat like his real personality because yeah, this the character by uh, yeah. allegedly that's one allegedly, person allegedly that. yeah yes Sherpa Call but would take the, issue. The violent tendencies are such a part of the character, and and I, at later late in the film, one of the his his agent Mel says something like, "That's just as much a part of him as the color of his eyes," or something like. You can't if you if you want to be with this person, you have to take that too, basically, which. Yeah, it sounds healthy, right? But it's, it uh, sounds very yeah. healthy, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, uh, knowing that these people, in retrospects, were were perhaps quite complex. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Bogart was pretty well liked. I don't know where Louise Brooks got all of her information, because right, right, right. um, uh, I I just want to class clarify that's one person saying that lots of other people seem mm-hmm. to say he was a good dude and that the drunken brawls were on the onus of his wife in that third mm-hmm. marriage third of four marriages um but uh because it's hollywood <laughs> in the 30s and 40s you can't marry just once um but uh but that said um knowing that he perhaps had a complex history knowing that that Gloria Graham most certainly had mm-hmm. a complex history kind of adds um, some layers to the story just because of yeah. how, how very, very dark it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that he read the book and thought, I got to play that character. Like he, maybe he felt some kinship or something. I'm speculating probably too much, but that is interesting. Well, let's talk about, um, Oh, you have something One to second. say. Okay. Yes. You should know that when she began the affair with the stepson, mm-hmm. who she later married, I just clarified this. He was thir- 13 years old. 13 years old. Caught in wow. bed with him when he was 13. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> wow. I don't I don't know what to say to that. That's I don't true. know. Affair is probably the wrong. The only reason that I'm using the word affair is just because they get married later. But even still, that's right. a Mary yeah. Kay Letourneau situation. And... That's pretty intense intense wow interesting wow yeah um (laughs) yeah i thought the movie was dark good god i mean like their lives are even and nicholas ray of course was a um a director who if you don't know his name he was extremely prolific um during this period uh he also uh made a movie called rebel without a cause a few years later that um I mean, redefined what teens looked like, essentially, mm. um, is probably one of the most important cultural moments in history, just by James Dean's jacket alone. Yeah. So, mm. um, so uh, he was uh, prolific and made uh, quite a few really, really great uh, movies. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those names that I always hear. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I know a handful of things at least. But yeah, like they, they Live by Night was him. And of course, mm-hmm. this one. Um, he made that a a Western called Johnny Guitar with uh, Joan Crawford okay, yeah. that's really fun and edgy. Um, he he was really, uh, the 50s was his, was his hotbed period, mm-hmm. but he was just known for these kind of angsty, edgy, uh, films yeah 
yeah that's that's all good stuff and and good to know i for anyone who has not seen it a little teaser of the plot maybe is uh humphrey bogart as we've mentioned <laughs> he plays a character with some violent tendencies named dixon mm-hmm. steel he is a what a uh, screenwriter i get yeah it's a great name dixon steel <laughs> uh he's a screenwriter he's sort of at the beginning of the story you could say washed up i guess hasn't had a hit in a while and gets hired to adapt this book he um meets a coat girl who's read it and wants basically her help he invites her over and he's like tell me what happens because i don't want to read it basically uh if it's not going to be good and then she leaves his house and find out the next morning she's been murdered and there's a lot of question about what happened, obviously. Um, and at the same time, Gloria Graham is his neighbor who's seen him around. They meet kind of at the same time and uh, a relationship develops there. And that's that's probably all you need to know going into the movie. But that's kind of the basic setup. And it is it gets very dark. It gets very uh, twisty. And um, yeah, that gets just more morbid than I expected more than anything, I think. But uh yeah. It, it really does. Um, yeah, uh, the by the way, the the a lot of the movie takes place at this apartment complex because, of course, Glory Graham is her character's a neighbor of Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. in the movie, and it, they have this lovely, like, very Hollywood courtyard apartment building, yeah. which either is based on or was filmed at, depending. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I think clearly a lot of it was recreated in a soundstage, but um, the location is um, on Harper Avenue and Fountain Avenue um, in West Hollywood, which is just about a mile from where I'm recording this nice. right now. Cool. And um, a few years ago, some friends of mine and I, I don't know. We had like an afternoon where we just like checked off a bunch of locations that yeah, have been cool. used in movies. And we stopped by this one and somebody let us in the courtyard and then told us all these stories about how like supposedly James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and all these other people had lived mm. there before. Wow. And it's, uh, it's retained this look about it. It has a very wow. old Hollywood look and it's a, it's the coolest little courtyard. Yeah, building. It's, a, it's a great so. setting for the film. That's so cool that Harper and right. fountain Harper in and case fountain. anybody's visiting and you want to see <laughs> yeah, the exterior. See. Yeah. Right on the corner of the intersection. So that's great. Yeah. Well, that's probably enough context. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. We're about to get into more stories. Details. <laughs> Dropping in quickly to say, don't forget to check out our Patreon. The Patreon gets you ad-free episodes for the low price of $3 a month, or for just $6 a month, you can also get extended podcast episodes, bonus episodes, and videos of all the guest discussions I have on the show, like the one you're listening to now. I've had a great time with the bonus episodes as well, which are open-ended discussions of films and TV, old and new. On recent bonus episodes, we've talked about films like The Secret of Kells, the recent A24 horror film X, and TV shows like Severance, Pam and Tommy, and The After Party. Make sure to visit patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find the link in the show notes to check those out. Okay, back to the show. Spoilers, I guess, is the the word. It It always feels weird talking about spoilers with a really old movie, but... But yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about like the ending and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can talk a little bit more details about the film. So, yes, they it gets it's quite steamy uh, more than I expected too at the beginning. So they 
they meet at the police station actually so like he's been called in for questioning and it's it's so smart how the script plays it they're like they're like why are you not more upset that this woman has been murdered like he's kind of making jokes about it and stuff it's like oh he's a screenwriter he writes these murder stories he's used to this kind of thing is kind of the thing but then he also makes jokes in a way that he could be implicated basically and it's like you're not helping yourself here but because of that it plays it so well that that it keeps the audience guessing too about Mm -hmm. could he actually be guilty but anyway anyway they meet um and like they've seen each other across the courtyard and he says something like, yeah, I've seen her. She was she was watching out her window in her negligee or something. And then a moment later, she says, yeah, I saw him too. I really liked his face. And it's like, they're like really getting pretty flirty right here in, in front of everybody. Right and yeah. yeah. Uh, and then it, it only continues to get steamier before it gets dark, darker, I guess. But um, I liked that about it as well. But uh, yeah, so this woman has been murdered. So some of the, the that's just the dark, things that were surprisingly dark so she's her body's been found in a canyon where it's clear that she's been thrown out of a car and um the i think the first scene that was really great was when he the one of the detectives that's working on it is like an old friend of his he invites him over for dinner and he basically like they're talking about the murder case and he gets the the detective and his wife to act it out like pretend you're sitting in a car here and he sort of directs them almost like a, a film director in this little scene and he gets really into it and he's like and you like the way it feels when you choke the life out of her and like he like, the light on his face as he's like saying this he's like going so a little bit insane right. and uh he like the wife is actually like stop choking me you're choking me too much um and, and he like has insights that into the case that they hadn't been able to figure out but he's like well of course she was still alive when they got in the car or he would have put her in the trunk and the deck was like i never thought of that and like he there was no hand mark so it must have been that he choked her with the his forearm and so like they're acting that out so he he's like helping the detectives with the case but it's like oh, why, why do you know so much about this and he continues to make a few little jokes that kind of could implicate him uh, more specifically but yeah that that scene was the first time i was like wow this is this is really going to go there. So that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Does not hold punches. It's funny too because uh, I guess we're getting into spoilers now. Apparently, yeah. the ending uh, was originally supposed to be uh, was supposed to have him um, killing her. I wondered that because I really thought he was going to in that moment. And then but he yeah, would be ahead. immediately like walk. They walk. The detective walks in on him. He gets arrested, mm-hmm. and that would have been the end of the film. But um, the uh the either the director or the screenwriter i want to get this uh right because uh, i just had this pulled up i just couldn't believe the ending that bundy uh mm. that screenwriter a- andrew salt salt apparently salt apparently he went by bundy and i had written i shot it this is nicholas ray talking i shot it because i it was my obligation to do it. Then I kicked everybody off stage, but Bogart, Art Smith, and Gloria, and we improvised the ending as it is now. In the original hmm. ending, we had it. We had ribbons, so it was all tied up into a very neat package with Lovejoy coming in and arresting him as he was writing the last lines, having killed Gloria. Huh? I thought, shit, I can't do that. I just can't do it. <laughs> Romances don't have to end that way. Marriages don't have to end that way. They don't have to end in violence. Let the audience make up its own mind what's going to happen to Bogey when he goes outside the apartment. 
Wow, uh, interesting. What a Boy Scout to, <laughs> to do that. That's interesting. Well, I, I, it's interesting that they improvised that because I thought you were going to say like the studio thought it was too dark and made them change it. Like like what we that's had with the rally. And that's kind of what it feels you know, like. We yeah. can't make Bogart a murderer. That's the way right. it, you know. But, but if he had killed her, I almost like that like, ending better because it, it kind of ties it up into a nice like self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you're accused of this and people are afraid of you because they think you might be capable of this. And then you're actually driven to it in the, in the last scene. I think that would have been great. I like the ending that but, we get to. But, but as it stands, you know, that could still happen. Because I guess that's true. Because it's ambiguous. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah that's like, true. We don't... He runs off into the street and that's it. Yeah, because, I mean, they could see each other again. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know if that's the... They have a very toxic relationship. This doesn't mean that... Um, that's true. This doesn't mean that... I mean, they nobody moved yet. Right. She hasn't gone to New York yet. There's no telling. Mm-hmm. There's no telling what could happen, so... Yeah. Oh, that was a great um, line too, by the way, in that final scene when he finally gets the phone call about the canceled flight and he's like, mm-hmm. I'll give her the message. Your flight's been canceled. And he like says it a few times. That was such a great just character moment. And, uh, and yeah, just a really well-written f- movie. My favorite line of dialogue ever is in this movie, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, you told me that before, but yeah. In, yes. And I'll say it again. I think I said yeah. it before, but it's actually, it's a line of dialogue that's a line of dialogue that yeah. he wants to get into a script the movie he, within the movie mm-hmm. the movie within the movie and he hasn't figured out where he's gonna put it but um the line is i was i was born when she kissed me i died when she left me i lived a few weeks while she loved me oh hmm. so good it's so good it's so good yeah. And he has her repeat um, it back, and then she she throws that out at the end. That's kind of the final final little moment. It just yeah, ties everything. Mm-hmm. It ties everything. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, like, I, I got to say, like, um, as a writer, <laughs> yeah, as somebody um, who makes his living typing, um, I uh, I feel um, I am not a violent person um (laughs) but i understand the uh angst and intensity of Mm. his character to where he's almost not completely unsympathetic because i completely understand Mm. his artistic (laughs) frustration um throughout the entire movie i don't know how unhealthy that is but um (laughs) but uh but even like the intensity with which he he views relationships i feel like anybody Mm who is a creative in some way or another understands mm-hmm. how you can, um, how you can take uh, a relationship here and, mm-hmm. uh, and you mit and you, everything is romanticized. Everything is built up. Everything mm-hmm. is heightened. And um, I think that this movie does a great job of capturing that, um, that artistic sensibility of a, a constantly heightened reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I really like all the there's sort of meta aspects of it because of the film within the film stuff. But yeah, like you're saying, he he once he's in this relationship with her, he finally is able to write again and like can't stop. And, and she's like, you have to stop and go to bed. But, and but it isn't is so happy. Right. Yeah. Because ultimately the relationship and I'm not going to say I haven't had relationships like this in the past, but, um, but ultimately the relationship in a way is, is his muse, Mm -hmm. you know, he needs, he doesn't need a relationship 
for the healthy reasons that you mm-hmm. might be in a relationship. He needs a relationship because he feeds off of it yeah. for his creative energy, which is mm-hmm. so interesting and twisted. And yeah, yeah it's an interesting little, little insight into human nature because yeah, it's like his creativity is relying on it, his career because of that. And so that it also all builds to what he's capable of. If it's going to go away, like I have to hold on to this or because kill if you her, can't, right. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you everything can't do it on your on own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean like that's that whole thing. Like you have to love yourself before you can love someone else or mm-hmm. whatever people yes, say. Yes. Like it's, it's this person who, who clearly is not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who, who relies on other people and, mm-hmm. and literally choke, choking the life out of them mm-hmm. in order to bring life into his, his work yeah yeah which is yeah. uh ah man so as a cre- this movie was made for someone <laughs> like me so <laughs> yeah it really is good there's another kind of meta scene where uh they're in the they're in the kitchen and he's like cutting up a grapefruit and i can't remember exactly how it plays out but he he references this the scene that they're in he's like oh it'd be just like this scene where i'm here cutting grapefruit and you're talking about how you love me and and so like the movie within the movie thing almost goes the other direction where they're self-aware in a way in a way just in a couple of moments um so yeah all the all the screenwritery stuff works really well and there's also like at the beginning he's talking to the actors and the way the actors all talk to each other and you know talk Mm -hmm. about the biz is kind of kind of cool um he gets mad at another writer who he says you're nothing but a popcorn salesman and uh he says well so are you i just i just don't fight it and i thought that was an interesting little uh art and commerce kind of a discussion well it's also it's interesting that he's viewing his life as scenes you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. because i i think that i think that a lot of people not probably not even just creatives but i think in a way uh, there are quite a few people out there who view themselves as the main character in a really long biography, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's a lot of times that I, I find myself not as present in a moment as I might be because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing it as it might play in a, in a, yeah. Film. Yeah. 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 And this movie kind of taps into that. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I love about movies too, is that like, I always think about like, after I watch a movie about parents and children, I'm like, I need to go be a really good parent to my children right now. And like, it really can inspire those things. And like, not that I feel like I'm in a movie now doing this, but like it, um, I don't know, it gets under your skin and affects you in a way that, uh, yeah, I don't know if that exactly ties in, but, but uh, I mean, think about how uh, much social media like heightens that idea too, mm, because mm -hmm. you, um, because now so much of what people do is kind of performance based because they're thinking Mm -hmm. about how this is going to play in an Mm -hmm. Instagram story as much as they are about it happening in their own life. Yeah. And, um, and so much of what people do these days is projection. So I think that somehow makes this character probably even more relatable now um, to audiences because Mm -hmm. he's ultimately imagining life as if it was something he was writing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, even trying to find that line we were talking about, even trying to find the appropriate place to put that line. And then it comes Mm -hmm. back at the end of the movie the yeah. movie finds the right place to put that line in mm. the movie. Yeah. You know, absolutely. so mm-hmm. ultimately it tells you what we were watching was all a play. 
Yeah. Yeah. The well, characters it, were performing. That's so good. And, and, you know, on the social media tie-in, it's like how many of us have thought, like, oh, this would be a good thing to put in my story later. And like, not that you manufacture a moment to get there, but it's like, oh, I have to, I'll, I'll do this cute thing with my kid because people will like it. Um, and like planning those things out. Yeah. And it, it totally ties. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it hits on so many layers that really happen does. decades decades in the future <laughs> way ahead of its time i mean really <sighs> um but it is it also it check marks all these uh speaking to the series that we're doing mm-hmm. yeah it checks marks all these all these boxes uh by having you know it's it it's it's dark in the way that a film noir is it has to do with a murder and a murder mystery it mm-hmm. has these excuse me characters that you don't know whether or not you can really trust them Mm -hmm. um it has the the black and white photography and the shadowy lighting and it has um an la location which a lot of film noirs are are Mm -hmm. usually either like la or new york um not all that's not a prerequisite but there are quite a few um that take place in los angeles Mm -hmm. uh including uh the big sleep which is another uh great um uh humphrey bogart noir um also, uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard, obviously. Yeah, I was just thinking about Sunset Boulevard, yeah. Double Indemnity mm-hmm. takes place in L.A. Um, you know, that's it's not a prerequisite. There are ones that take place in other places, obviously. But there are a heavy number uh, of the detective ones that have these um, characters who beat around L.A. And while this isn't... a uh, the detective in the movie is not the lead character. It is still ultimately a mystery mm-hmm. um, where you're trying to decide whether or not you trust whether the lead character is innocent yeah. of a crime or not, mm-hmm. or whether he'll commit yeah. another one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I think it plays the relationship part of that so well as, as well, because, you know, she falls in love with him and they're, they seem so happy together, but then it's sort of is nagging at her over and over time. But I think it, it happens at just the right speed where like suddenly it's like, now he's like, you have to marry me. And he becomes more controlling because of the, all the relationship stuff we talked about where he's, mm-hmm. his career is doing well now. And he's like, okay, we have to get married. And she's just gotten to the point where she's, she's seen him be violent more. And, and she uh, is, is like, I, I can't be with this man anymore. And now it, that comes to a head in the, just the perfect way, I think. And like the, mm-hmm. the last few scenes are really thrilling. I was like, really on the edge of my seat with it which so uh, yeah it would, i think it was really well done yeah the script is just so 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 great on this it should be this movie should be better known than it is it's uh yeah i think it's actually better than a few of the film noirs that are typically cited when people talk mm-hmm. about um i i mean like the big sleep's a great movie i think this is better than the big sleep mm-hmm. um which uh uh you know is great in the Bacall bogey aspect of it, mm-hmm. which apparently Lauren Bacall was one of the people they wanted to cast in this movie, which mm-hmm. would have been interesting. Yeah. I think Gloria Graham is perfect for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Lauren Bacall was still under contract at Warner Brothers and they didn't loan her out. Um, probably because I think they were a little miffed at bogey for going out on his own. Mm-hmm. But um and uh, this, I mean, this was an independent film uh, in a time when there was a lot of pushback um, from uh, from 
big studios towards independent films because they viewed that as uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, this was ultimately released by Columbia, but it was produced by Santana Pictures Corporation, um, which was uh, Bogart's production company. And it uh, ultimately produced, let's see, just about seven movies altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, interestingly, uh, had a lot of heavy involvement from an actor named John Derrick, who um, would later marry uh, four times, but three of the women he married were Ursula Andress, Linda Evans, and Bo Derrick. Wow. And he just traded younger and younger every time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, he he just like... uh, uh, Bogart um, was setting on his own at a time when, um, you know, uh, uh, big studios were concerned about their future fortunes with the arrival of television and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I wanted to mention too, just I think the supporting cast is really great in this too, especially I love his agent played by Art Smith. It's uh, Mel Lipman. He's so, so good. And and there's a scene like he ends up conspiring a little bit with Gloria Graham's character to try to get her out. And uh, then he gets punched in the face near the end and all that's, it works out really well. It doesn't work out well for his character, but uh, I, I think that his, uh, his performance is really great in this. I, he's one of my favorite, I think, whenever he popped up on screen. I feel like we should also mention um, that uh, the character of Mildred, the person who's killed in yes. the movie, is played by Martha Stewart, but not, <laughs> not that, that Martha, Martha Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> 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 She's great, too, in the film. Too. She's, you know, kind of naive, and um, I, I didn't know. I, I think I knew there was a murder involved, maybe, but I somehow didn't expect her to be the victim and then it was like oh there she goes she's gone because she's kind of set up in a way that she might be the lead yeah yeah for a minute i was because i again i didn't know much about gloria graham and and i was like i didn't think that was gloria graham but is she going to be the the romantic lead here yeah 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 exactly i felt well this movie is quite good uh what what else we need to discuss about uh in a lonely place before we wrap things up you think um, I mean, I think that this is the, one of the quintessential, uh, film noirs. If you're looking to get a little deeper into, uh, a film movement that is often discussed in film circles and certainly is famous for the ways that it's inspired filmmakers continually mm-hmm. for, through the years, uh, in a way, this may have been the first, uh, film movement that was really discussed in, uh, in academia as something mm. uh, serious because this is what those early filmmakers, uh, not early, those early new wave filmmakers, um, Coppola and, and Scorsese and, um, and uh, Roman Polanski, you know, all of those directors coming up in the sixties and seventies, they, they were largely paying homage, which we will get into more with uh, our next movie. Um, Two movies like In a Lonely Place and two actors like Bogart. And Mm. um, 
this was not a hugely successful film around upon release. This wasn't something that I think audiences really wanted to see out of uh, somebody who was a huge box office star at the time, you know, playing a dark character wasn't exactly mm-hmm. what they wanted to see from Bogart. I mean, he played dark characters, but they didn't want to see somebody who was a potential murderer out of him. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think that this movie really, really, uh, speaks to audiences of today it has a through line that goes to uh, hbo shows like true detective mm-hmm, and yeah. um uh it has a darkness about it that i think that audiences today would really appreciate and it's definitely something i would like to see uh discussed more and rediscovered so maybe yeah. this podcast right now this is gonna do it can it's help that happen it definitely is on the criterion <laughs> yeah. edition it yeah there's so a criterion blu-ray helps. so it's got a nice a nice special edition out there you know when you're talking about like influential stuff i thought about uh the movie barton fink the coen brothers movie i think shares some mm-hmm. dna we got this screenwriter in this kind of dark world that's a what's a wild movie but um it's a really but, specific yeah. subgenre, you yeah. know of movies about screenwriters like the madness Um, of screenwriters (laughs) but i mean it's interesting how much that does come up in noir because again Mm -hmm. sunset boulevard is Mm -hmm. about uh, a down on his luck screenwriter Mm -hmm. you know um and and an actress uh and which which we haven't said but gloria graham's character is an actress it kind of also yes it has not not had much luck good roles yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um and it's just interesting how during this the bulk of this movement during the 40s and 50s you know a lot of these movies takes place in los angeles so it makes sense that you would use people who are in the industry as characters but it's interesting how much of this is Mm self-referential and how Mm much um is in its own way an analysis of the industry in that is making the film yeah Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot to unpack here and certainly much to enjoy Yes, yes. Well, that is In a Lonely Place. Uh, again, it's streaming. Uh, it's like on Amazon Prime, and it's also on, I think, like Tubi and Crackle and some of those those kind of lesser things, but you can watch it there. But then also, yeah, there is a Criterion uh, Edition disc. Uh, highly recommended by both of us. Very, very good movie. And let's talk about it next time. We are going to change gears a little bit uh, and look at a slightly more modern film with a Chinatown. Noir. Yes, yeah. a neo noir Chinatown starring Jack Nicholson, which I have seen but it's been a long time. Um I watched it in college, so I don't know how many years ago was that now. I don't we don't have to talk about that. But it's been well, a while it's, and I it's, I it's... don't remember <laughs> some a lot about it. So I'm, I'm excited to to check it out again. Graduated in a different decade, so <laughs> yeah, <Let me> <laughs> where that one is streaming because I know that it is because that's part of why I chose it. I think it's on like Netflix or something. It's uh, it's on either Netflix or HBO Max, maybe. It is on HBO Max, yes. So you can yeah, watch it on HBO yeah. Max. Uh, actually, it's on Canopy, which is the free library one. It's on Hoopla, which is also a library one. Uh, Cinemax. So anyway, it's in a few different places, uh, but HBO is probably the the most prominent there. But actually, I've been getting and a lot of, talk of Canopy about... lately. But go ahead. Yeah, you want to talk about an L.A. film. Yeah. Chinatown is one of the ultimate L.A. movies. Um, So I I look forward to to breaking that aspect 
of this film yes, yes. now. And I'm, I'm always excited to watch something with Jack Nicholson because it's I feel like it's been a while since I watched the, the Jack Nicholson movie. The image I have in my head that I remember of this is just him with his bandaged nose because he gets mm-hmm, yeah. injured in some way. Uh, but anyway, we will talk about Chinatown next time. And that will actually be our final of the film noir series. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed doing these and I'm excited to, to get into that one with you next time. All right. Well, I guess then we can say bye-bye for now and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much, Rance. Uh, Amazing. Thank you so much. As always, thank you to Rance Collins for all his insights. I feel so lucky to know him and to be able to get him on the show as much as I do. Looking ahead at the next couple of weeks on the show, next time I'll be discussing the new A24 horror film from director Alex Garland, Men. I am a big fan of Garland's other work like Ex Machina, and Annihilation, as well as some of the films he wrote, like 28 Days Later, Never Let Me Go, and Sunshine. So I'm very excited to see this one, and I'm planning to discuss with filmmaker and actor Corey Clifford. She came on the show previously to talk about the film Annette, and I'm excited to have her back for this one. Min is playing in theaters starting Friday, May 20th. And then the following week, we will finish up the film noir series with Rance Collins looking at a neo-noir, 1974's Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson. Chinatown is now streaming on HBO Max. And that does it for this episode of Arthouse Garage. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a few years worth of episodes, and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe or you can email me directly andrew at arthousegarage.com and of course follow on social media you can find us on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd just search at arthouse garage in all those places or find links in the show notes and that will do it for this episode thank you again so much for listening and until next time keep it snob free